Welcome to the Business Owner Transition with Mike Quinlan, where we bring you content to help you transition your business on your terms. All right, it's Mike Quinlan again with you, and today I've got a really kind of cool and special guest. I've got Phil Susan Goble with me. And Phil is a very interesting guy. A little, special. That's right. Very, he's special. He, <laughs> very is a, special. he is a special person. <laughs> a little different than some of the guests on the podcast. Phil is a Marine Corps fighter pilot, uh, flew F-18s, right? Correct. And uh, also a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the blood. Yeah. So we're going to talk today about a little bit about the Marine Corps. We're going to talk a little bit about aviation. We're going to talk a little bit about building a business and, and actually not being there when you're running it. So, um, so Phil, tell me a little bit about your background and what the Marine Corps was like for you. So background grew up in Cleveland, big family, six kids, Irish Catholic, dad's family had a business. So entrepreneurs from the start, played college hockey, decided to do something crazy after college hockey was over. Marine Corps, I heard full of a bunch of crazy people. So I sounded like a good thing for me asked the recruiter what's the hardest thing to do he said fly f-18s i was like all right man let's do that and that's the very short version of me uh <laughs> somehow not crashing airplanes passing a bunch of tests happen to have lungs and organs in the right place yep and can miraculously see and can speak a little bit of english and now get to fly your planes that's there about it those are the qualifications yeah that's it that's, that's it. No, nothing to it nothing yeah. else that, that whole top one percent though that's just not nah. a big deal. yeah so all right, good. Brother aviator. People know that I was a military aviator as well and still fly airplanes. You fly commercial Yeah, now. fly for a, a commercial airline currently. Mm -hmm. Correct. Good. And so, you know, we all have call signs in the military and yours is Susan. Tell me how Susan came about. So in the Marine Corps, you don't get a call sign for doing anything you're proud of. <laughs> you know, you don't uh, date a gorgeous blonde and, and they name you something good after that it's sure mine is susan which is an acronym i was a younger guy actually pretty new into the fleet flying f-18s and we fly and i'll, I'll just keep it kind of general the sure. language we fly with infrared missiles heat seeking yep. missiles that yep. track a heat source yep and just like any other weapon you can think of there's always a safety you know on your handgun safety that type of thing well on our missiles the safety comes in a form of a eight inch long metal pin that's shaped like an l right and unless that pin is pulled from your missile it doesn't fire right no matter what you do that's the safety well i was flying with these missiles called aim nines yep and if just spell the word aim a-i-m and put a nine after it will make it easy aim nine yep and they always say the terminology is before you go fly you arm your missile so you pull the pin and once you pull the pin and a couple other things go on, your missile is armed. If you don't pull the pin, the missile is considered safe. So I forgot to have the pin pulled on my missile. Yep. I was super excited. That sounds so terrible, the pin pulled on my <laughs> missile. And being super excited. <laughs> that could go so many, so many different ways. Um, it was pretty amped up, hadn't flown in a few weeks. And our ordnance Marines, you know, yep. the Marines that handle the weapons on the jets, they, you normally taxi up to them. They do a little, we'll call it a little dance, hand signals and pull the pins and make everything, you know, good to fly. And then you taxi away. Yep. And then you go fly. 
Well, I was so excited to fly. I literally taxied right past them <laughs> and never stopped. And they were jumping up and down, <laughs> hey, waving their arms like, sir, sir. And I taxied right past them. I'm so psyched to go flying, get out, take the runway, go fly. So long story short, Susan stands for super safe aim nine. And I've been <laughs> Susan for a decade now. And among the other choices, because uh, there were some other options. Yep. Some were actually kind of cool. Uh, Susan is not cool. Yep. And that's why I got it. There you and go. And they voted on it. And then the CEO at the time, he slaps the table. You are now Susan. And I've been Susan. And uh, it's, yeah, not a proud story. Yeah. And I had to, the flight itself, to put some context into it, I was th that was part of the red cell. Yep. And a good friend of mine was doing his section lead check right at the time. And he needed two red bad guys to complete his event. Well, you can't complete the event with only one red bad guy. When I realized that I had taken off with the safety pin in my missile, I had to go home and do the straighting of shame. Yep. He finished the event with a two blue versus one red. And it was incomplete because I had to go home and do the straighting of shame. And to make it worse, he had scheduled two weeks of leave to go on a trip with his wife starting the next day under the assumption that he was going to finish his section lead, take some leave, relax. Not the case. Yeah. He had to come back and do it a couple weeks later because I forgot to arm my missile. Well, I can certainly see why you're Susan. Susan. Yeah. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. It so, fits. yeah. I, you know, I used to have to do something very similar with the harpoon missile. We would, and all of our weapons and, we did all of our pin pulling prior to actually getting the engines turning and going. We had weapons in the bomb bay and we also had weapons on the, on the wings. I learned very early that the way this works is you walk around with the ordinance men, the ordinance men watches you pull the pins as the, as the mission commander. And I put them in my pocket every time. So I knew that when I got in the airplane, I had a bunch of, in my, in my right leg flight suit pocket yep i had a bunch of pins in my pocket yeah. I, I was good to go right didn't get to be susan but i got to be chippy and, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that's dude and, nothing and, but a badass yeah. call sign oh right i'm there. telling you man. susan and chippy susan and chippy oh, that's man. right well listen there, that, there's a lot worse so i will tell you a very quick call sign story and i'm sure that all our listeners are going to love this because we're not talking about ebitda but so i was sitting in the in the wardroom which is where the officers hang out uh but when you're not flying and a very good friend of mine was sitting right next to me. We are the two most senior lieutenants in the squadron. So the listeners should know that the two most senior lieutenants in the squadron or captains in the in a Marine Corps squadron have a lot of power. And, uh, you know, you're getting ready to go off and be instructors and do all kinds of other stuff. And the, all the guys in the, in the wardroom listen to what you have to say. And we had this young kid come walking into the wardroom and it's August in Jacksonville. It's blazing hot outside yep. and he's got a brown leather flight jacket on, which is, you know, that's like the, the prized, the prized thing for a, for an aviator. And so he wears his flight jacket, he walks in and you know, my buddy and I are looking at each other like, what is going on with this dude? And uh, he walks in and uh, said, Hey, welcome aboard. And what do we call you? And he's a, he is a JG at the time, fresh new pilot. And he puts his hands on his hips and he says, well, around the fleet, I'm known as Slash. Oh, yeah. 
bro, it's not going to work out, man. No. And so I looked at my slash. You I got looked it, at buddy. my body, and he looked at he, and he looked right back at me, and, and we both smiled at each other. <laughs> And my friend looks up to him and he says, well, from now on, you're known as fuzz nuts. <laughs> and so today, when we get back together and we have reunions and all the rest of it, he is fuzz nuts. Oh, and uh, so I'm thankful that Chippy is, is mine. And it could be way worse. Oh, no Chippy's kidding. not bad. No, uh, our buddy, Colonel Don Beaver gave lots of really tough calls. Uh, yeah. Us. I have yeah. some, some friends that are named after things and events and uh, decisions, life decisions that they can't tell their parents. That's right. So so we'll keep those. Yeah, we'll keep that into another podcast. Yeah. Well, that's your podcast. So Susan over here runs a podcast called the Ready Room Podcast. And what is that about? There, so we'd like to focus on leadership and lessons. So the goal is to pull out a, a, some type of lesson that applies in daily life from guys and gals who've worn or maybe even haven't worn the uniform. You right. know, first responders, um, firemen, veterans, anyone that has a, a cool story uh, and a lesson that can be shared. Right. And we focus on leadership, a lot of humor, so heavy humor, uh, but also some serious stuff. So I would say it's 80% humor, 20% serious. You know, some of the lessons might be, you know, something genuine and important, or it might be something as simple as, hey, uh, as did one of my old Navy commanders, don't go get drunk with your old F-14 Tomcat buddies and crash the base CO's golf cart on the arresting gear, on the runway, on the naval base, and rip the axle off. <laughs> that would be a bad thing. Because that happened. Those are two Navy 06s that yeah. did that. Yeah. So that's an example of something you might not want to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so great. That's great content for the podcast. Great content, good leadership. Don't crash golf carts on arresting gears. But a lot of humor, leadership, and just good stories with bros yeah. you know, that have worn the uniform. So. Well, obviously, you've got very bad taste in your guests since you had me on. So We uh, were struggling. <laughs> you know, nobody else is returning my phone That's calls. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was like, we've got to call Mike now. He <laughs> was like, there's nobody else left. <laughs> I know, you know. That's right. And I didn't even tell you about about parking the CO's car on the number one green at NAS Jack. So, But we'll talk about that Next some time. other time. Yeah. Next time. All right. So Susan is also an entrepreneur. So here's a guy that is active duty military. He's, he's flying deployments into the Middle East and uh, he's also starting a business. Great time to start a business. I say. Yeah. So just to, to bring you up to speak, cause we haven't covered this. So I got out, uh, just under a year ago. Yep. So I've been in the civilian world for 12 months now, still figuring it out. But yeah, had a business uh, while I was on active duty, started it as a full-time active duty Hornet pilot in Buford, South Carolina. And the story goes, uh, bought a property that was a live workspace in a little town in Buford, South Carolina. Saw the opportunity for a rental property. At the time, the market, this is the end of 2012, the market was pretty good. So property values are pretty low. So yep. way more affordable than, than potentially where they are now. And saw the opportunity for a apartment uh, and a commercial space to rent out both. So dual rental income is what I saw. Did some learning, a little bit of research, um, and asked myself the question of what does the neighborhood have? So what businesses are already established? And what does the neighborhood need? And that was kind of the key question that drove my decision to pursue the type of business we did. And to clarify, the neighborhood had kind of your staples, Mexican restaurant, pizza place, gym, antique store. Uh, there was a salon, a pub, you know, place to get dinner. 
what, what am I missing? What else was there? Yeah, so you had the uh, yeah the Mexican restaurant in there. You had a sandwich place. Sandwich was, place. Yeah. Get yep. some sandwiches. Uh, a couple little knickknack shops. Yep. Photography studio. But the one thing the neighborhood didn't have was coffee, which to me was just kind of baffling. It's like having a table with three legs only. Yep. It's like, how do you have every other American staple type restaurant, but nothing for breakfast or lunch or coffee? And that was the, that factor drove our decision to pursue uh, Lazy Susan's Cafe and Crapery. Perfect. Okay. So you made the decision on the theme of the restaurant and it was going to be a coffee shop. So you got everything all started and how long did, did, how did that run? How did, who did you hire? Uh, yeah. So the concept was, so Lazy Susan's Cafe and Crepery was, and the neighborhood actually drove the type of business we were going for. So the neighborhood Habersham in Beaufort, South Carolina is a, I would say a upper middle class to upper class demographic traditionally, uh, as far as income goes. So having a stereotypical coffee shop slash cafe that had your cookie cutter, white cups, white plates, you know, your, your brown coffee bags, your burlap bags hanging on the wall. If you think of various coffee shops around the world, we knew we had to meet the demographic with a product that matched what they had interest in. Right. So crepes, have a little bit of romanticized flair to them. You know, there's a pancake, which is a blue collar, you know, breakfast item. And then a crepe, which is a little bit fancier, skinnier pancake. Why? You know, a skinny pancake. Yeah. So uh, we decided let's do crepes because coffee we can do. And having traveled around, we knew we wanted to do high quality beans, high quality espresso, really good coffee, lattes, espressos, macchiatos, all your traditional coffee drinks, but at a higher echelon quality. And we would have a price point to match that. Additionally, I was given guidance by my mother who said, she asked me, what kind of cups are you going to use? I was like, well, you know, I was thinking we'll go to World Market and buy a bunch of white cups. And she just shaking her head. She's like, nope, it's not going to match the demographic. I was like, well, what do you mean, mom? What do you know about coffee? You know, she, she knows a little bit about coffee and She's like, have you ever heard of Le Creuset? I was like, no. And she brought out this cast iron pot she's had for like 30 decades of where she's cooked every Thanksgiving meal in. It was this enameled, enormous 30-pound metal pot made by Le Creuset. Right. She says, any woman or anyone who's ever cooked, any grandmother, any mother that's ever made like a Thanksgiving dinner or baked, they know what Le Creuset is. And that's your higher quality, higher demographic brand name serveware well i was like okay so i just start googling pictures and everything come to find out the american headquarters the american distribution headquarters for lake crusade is in yemesee south carolina which is 30 minutes from beaufort south carolina i was like okay i, th I think i need to do some research here anyway decided to go with lake crusade and the reason we did is that matched the quality level of that the demographic expected along with the quality of the coffee, the quality of the food, and most importantly, the quality of the service. Right. So using crepes and a crepery, it's a little bit different than a pancake and a pancakery. It has a little bit more, uh, there is some marketing value to that. Having crepes is a little bit unique, a little bit different, a little bit French. So it's a little bit, Ooh, it's kind of cool. Also with, 
the various techniques to include in branding and marketing, we did that. And so that was, those are some of the factors that drove Lazy Susan's Cafe and Creperie. But to get to actually answer your question was we were breakfast and lunch, breakfast and dessert crepes. So savory crepes and sweet crepes are what we offered. Really good coffee, really good muffins. We had a self-serve coffee bar with the Le Creuset serveware we used. Really good espresso cups, really good cappuccino cups. Everything was based on a Italian style version of a cafe drink. So when you get a latte, it was in a seven ounce latte cup, not a 20, 30, 40 ounce American mocha, froca, whatever right. chino you want to call it, where it's, you're drinking a 40 right. in a coffee cup that yep. you got from the gas station. That's not a cappuccino. That's not a mocha. That's not a latte. So there were some discussions that we had with customers like, why is your coffee drink so small? And I would educate them on, well, where the latte and the cappuccino originated from and why it's seven ounces. And it goes back to the Italians. So we built the, the branding and the marketing and the design and the menu and everything. And then it came time for the people who are, uh, they were the foundation and center of gravity and the, the base platform and the entire reason for our success as a business was the staff who to this day are absolutely amazing people, hardest working people I've ever worked with. And 20 of the 24 employees we had while we were open were all Marine Corps wives. So what I did and kind of the mission statement for when it came to hiring was hire for character, teach for skill, hire good people, teach them the skills they need, give them an end state. Here's the goal. Here's the finish line. Here's what it looks like. Here's your left and right lateral limits, and then just get out of the way. Right. And they were amazing. And we're still very close to this day. And, and as Ready Room Coffee, which we'll talk about in a bit, gets up and going, the staff I had at Lazy Seasons are going to play a major role in the success of Ready Room Coffee. Yeah, that's awesome. So how was it different to lead this group of women versus these young Marines that were fixing airplanes and, and keeping you on the tip of the spear? So great question. Um, the way you speak to young uh, Marines and Marines in general is very different than the way you can speak to young uh, mid-20s Marine Corps wives right? Uh, or just women in general. So I had to adjust my delivery techniques and modify some language. Um, and it, it, was, it was a, we'll call it an uphill climb. But eventually, I learned to not make my staff cry. <laughs> so, so that was progress. That's always good. Uh, yeah. But that was one part of the learning that came with owning the business uh, was managing people. And, you know, unsanctioned book plug. Uh, I used the book, The One Minute Manager, as kind of a base of right. how I wanted to manage the staff and really just tried to stay out of their way and be productive and understand that mistakes are going to be okay. Mistakes are welcome. I welcomed mistakes of ambition, mistakes of trying, mistakes of creativity, mistakes of let's try to do four birds with one stone, Ooh, force too many, let's go knock it back to three. I welcomed those mistakes and encouraged those mistakes because that promoted growth, creativity, improvement. So yeah, just hire for character, train for skill. So you've got this business now and at the time you were active duty Marine pilot and you were still deploying. So where did you deploy? So this is a bit of a case study on how to not start a business. 
tip number one, don't start a business and then the week before the business opens, move to North Carolina if your business is in South Carolina. So so don't start a business and then move to North Carolina for a year. Don't start a business and then deploy two and a half times in the next five years. So, however, if you are going to start a business and move to another state and deploy overseas with little to no internet access and communication skills and anything like that, it all goes back to the people. Yep. If you hire or surround yourself and build the business on people of character and work ethic and integrity and take care of them and make them feel part of something as a family, they ran the business entirely through two deployments. So total of 14 months deployed, all the workups for a boat deployment. So multiple months on the boat at Airwing Fallon, Tista, all these other places where you go a full year at a fact tour at second tank battalion, forward air controller tour at campus, U North Carolina, living out in the field, in the woods, only being able to come back potentially on the weekends. So when I deployed, I, I gave the staff, the managers, I was like, here's my social, here's my bank account. Here's everything that you need to steal my identity and sell me online. Um, but by giving them that trust and that freedom with the guidance that I gave them, they actually, the business produced more while I was gone than when I was in South Carolina in America, which is, I think, an absolute awesome compliment I'm super proud of that they took so much ownership of the business and cared for like it was their own that it generated more profit while I was gone. So I don't know if, you know, I must've been doing something wrong when I, well, when I showed back up. Hey, listen. So when we talk to business owners, we talk about this thing called the I'm good checklist, right? I, we, you and I talked about this earlier. So the, the key to creating value in a company is, is the I'm good checklist, increasing cash flow, institutionalizing management and developing the management team, right? Responsibility with accountability. Those types of issues create people uh, that can run your business while you're gone. I mean, the ultimate goal is to be able to have a business owner do the proverbial, I'm going to go to the Caribbean for six months and come back and my business is running great. Well, you actually did that. There's definitely some leadership capability there that you pick the right people, you train them the, the right way, and then you let them, you let them go, right? You let them do their thing. So after management is a growth plan, right? What are you going to do? And it sounds like, you know, you had, you had researched the business, you had put together all the complimentary marketing and pieces to have the business grow. And then you have the first O is optimizing financial statements and maybe not giving your social security number away is probably not the best thing to do, but, <laughs> and I, I may not recommend that to, right. to my clients. Yeah. Good tip. Yeah. Yeah. But you also were in a, in a, a different place, right? You had Marine Corps wives that were working with you and you know, that culture is that of taking care of each other, right? The second O is operations and documenting operations and supply chains and, you know, who your vendors are, who your customers are, all that stuff. And then the diverse customer base. So as you were working through doing these deployments and growing this business, you started getting to, at some point to a period of time when you're like, okay, it's time for me to move on and do something different. Tell me how that went. So it really coincided with my career in the Marine Corps. So as I started to 
go through my sunset tour last couple of years in the Marine Corps, realized the business was doing well. It had been profitable year over year. We had consistent growth for five years straight. It was a blast, built some great relationships. However, I was ready to take the knowledge gained from that experience and apply it in a different arena. So once I realized and, and decided to get out of the Marine Corps, I was like, okay, so we, we put the business, uh, we put the property up for sale. So we actually, uh, we kept the rights, the legal rights and the intellectual property for Lazy Susan's Cafe, but the property itself and all the equipment that had been installed, you know, the commercial kitchen, the espresso machine, everything that was built into uh, the restaurant was included in the property and in the sale. Right. So you did what's called an asset sale. Yeah. You essentially sold all the parts and pieces of the property, but you maintain the intellectual property was the hardest thing you know this is the first time you ever sold a business yeah and first time. so how did you know how much to sell it for great question so i didn't initially i didn't have a clue how much do you sell a business for so like any good pilot does i'd started googling stuff and i saw these different valuations based on the different type of business so eventually i found you know restaurants retail food service and started looking at these you know, percentages of net income, things like that, all these different terms I wasn't too familiar with. So after doing some homework and talking to some people who had more experience, I got a, at least a general idea of what I thought based on these variables, the company was worth. But initially I had no idea. So there was definitely something that there's a, another tip to offer is find the evaluation that makes sense per the business or the type of business you're trying to sell and then start looking at your numbers. And that'll give you at least a, a starting point when it comes to list price and things like that. So that's definitely something I would, I didn't do yep. uh, that. I, I would highly recommend is working and finding a, a correct valuation. Yeah. So the valuation piece of it is, is obviously it's critical. And interestingly, when I speak with investment banking people, right? Business brokers that are, are working with people actually doing the marketing and the sale of the business. The number one problem that they have with business owners is that they think that their companies are worth way too much, right? They think that they're, they're worth twice as much as they actually are. And one of the things that we do, if you go to the website, so if you go to the ownericademy.com website, you'll see that one of the courses that we offer is actually a valuation assessment. And that valuation assessment, what we do is we take a couple of years of financials from you. Uh, one, we have a, one of our staff is uh, an expert in this area and we'll take this information, put it into some software that we have and give you a kind of an estimate of value. It's, it's really designed as an internal planning document for our clients as they are looking at preparing to sell the business. So that is, that's a planning document, right? If for valuation of a business, we use the certified valuations, right? Are sometimes required as, as the business is larger. And there's a myriad of different reasons that you do evaluation. But the reality of, of it is, is that your business, just like your house, is worth as much as somebody will pay you for it. So I've seen situations where we have had multiple offers on a business and we're evaluating all that information. And you might have a company out there that really needs your capability. They're a strategic 
buyer. They need your capability for some reason or another. Maybe they can't build it in a timely fashion. And so they're willing to pay a lot more than maybe what the average offer price has been. That obviously is a sweet spot. You'd love for that kind of thing to happen. Getting an estimate evaluation at the very beginning is critical because it helps you plan to go through the rest of the process. It probably would have been easier for you, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it, we can we can help with that if you, again, go to the website and look at the courses section of the website, and that's the owner dot, owneracademy.com. That will be in the podcast information tied to this episode business. And so what were the, what were the things that surprised you? What were the gotchas as you were going through it? It was a unique sale given that it was a live workspace. So we were selling a commercially built restaurant and commercial space with an apartment above it. So that was a little bit different because it was a selling a live work. A portion of the square footage was commercial. A portion was residential Certain real estate agents weren't at least experienced in that. Some do right. only residential, some only commercial, but very rare is it kind of a mixed use. That was a little bit, so learn about, about that on the real estate side. When it came to the sell, selling itself of the property, the interactions and process of working with the buyers and the real estate agent and kind of navigating the various avenues of what's included in the sale I learned I should have been and could have been much more clear in specifically what was included because there was some confusion at the start about, hey, are we getting lazy Susan? You know, all, there were some conversations that were had that had I actually looked specifically and been very, very crystal clear with the language and what was included and all that, it would have mitigated uh, a little bit of friction. Yep. But at the end, it, it worked out. And also, the I would say the biggest one was the process of going through the paperwork of the sale itself to include real estate agent fees, capital gains tax, you know, all those things that you kind of, they're on the sidelines. They don't really pop up, but they're always there. They never go away. You're going to pay capital gains tax. You know, you're going to pay an income, you know, those things that I was like, oh, that's higher than I expected. Yeah. Those are some good lessons learned. And also, I would say that was probably the biggest one is there's hidden there's a little, there's some hidden, you know, fine print on the side and uncle Sam's going to get a little check out of this exchange. Yep. Is there a way, is there a way to mitigate that or at least minimize it, but it's going to happen regardless. And that was something I paid more attention to the actual sale itself, vice, the various administrative requirements, uh, and how to structure, I guess the numbers portion of it. Right. And understand that capital gains. Yeah. I hadn't experienced that when it comes to a business sale before, but that's a real thing as well. Absolutely. And, you know, in the academy, we talk to business owners about all of these issues. And you heard me before talk about, before we get on the air, talk about the success formula. Success is equal to process times vision times desire. Process is all of those people Right. And you may have done this all by yourself, but, you know, your CPA, your attorney that was writing up the documents, the real estate people that were helping you with the actual sale of both the mixed use property. All of those people have a process that they have to go through. Many times the business owner really doesn't understand what the expectations of those people really should be why they're charging the fees that they are and what they should be doing and how you should be holding them accountable. 
and it sometimes can breed a little bit of distrust. So part of what we have to do is have to translate that language. Now you have the vision piece of it. You talked about a couple of different things that are included in vision. One of those is really truly understanding how much money was coming out of the deal. What were all those little things that were going to eat up a piece of it? Taxation, fees. Yep. And fortunately for you, this was not your retirement. You know, we're a young guy, still are a young guy. You've got plenty of room and to headroom on that kind of stuff. Not as critical, but annoying. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, you thought you were going to come out with a certain check yeah. and ended up with another. It's like, wait a second. Yeah. Here. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen deals, people at the closing table decide not to sell their business when they saw their closing statement. That's something that should have been be figured out way in advance. You should have very clear understanding of exactly what you're going to get into. And sometimes too, you know, you had a, a cash deal. You didn't, there was no trailing terms that were associated with your deal that you didn't have to work with them. You didn't have to do an earn out. You didn't have to do any of that kind of stuff. So it's a pretty simple deal. A large percentage of people, they're going to have to deal with those types of terms. And if they don't think about them way early, it's difficult for their advisors to help them negotiate and guide them through the deal. Sure. So you were fortunate in that regard. You had a desire, you had a reason to sell because you were going off to do the next thing. That included getting out of the Marine Corps and going and flying, uh, going and flying commercial jets and, yep, yep. and then now getting ready to go fly for the airlines, right? Yeah, yeah. You still have the entrepreneurial spirit. You're getting ready to start another company in addition to your podcast that you're doing. Yes. And uh, so what's the new company? So the new company is called Ready Room Coffee. Okay. And you know this because you know what the Ready Room is. And anyone who's ever worn a flight suit or been involved in any type of aviation in the military knows that the Ready Room is the, we'll call it the, the, the center, the headquarters, the heart of an aviation unit where people gather to brief, debrief, get chewed out, you know, go through super fun all officer meetings, That's mandatory, right. don't smoke or do drugs training, all that good stuff. Yep. Um, but it is a, a, a whole bean uh, coffee roasting company that's catered towards the military community, the military aviation community specifically, but also the ground side because we work together. You know, our job is to support the guys on the ground and our marketing philosophy is just to have a lot of fun, make fun of everybody in aviation and roast really good high quality coffee and support some some foundations and charities uh, that take care of our brothers and sisters in arms uh, along the way. Great. Now, so when is the company going to, when are you going to start selling that first bag of coffee? Our roasting starts in January. Nice. And once that is suitcased and not until it's suitcased, we will launch. And what we're going to do is we'll, we'll be sending certain individuals, potentially you, you know, Mike, some, some coffee to maybe the P3 roast. Maybe when we send you a sample of that, there see how go. that is. But we will start a, uh, an anticipatory marketing campaign to get the word out do some samples, do some donations, get some feedback real time and start to really get the word out and then do advanced orders. And then once things are ready to go and not, you know, not a day before, um, then we'll hit play uh, and we're going to have some fun with it. So everyone's fair game. So now you're going to do another company where you're also going to have another real job. Yeah, I, I do still have to have a real job, <laughs> but I don't know if being a pilot's considered a real job. <laughs> It's a real job. It's just not a, it's, it's just, you're not there a whole lot, right? 
Well, we just, it's a lot of drinking coffee and looking out the window, which I'm really good at looking out windows. Yeah. It's a skill. I mean, you know. I, I mean, do. I'm you, flying tomorrow 27 morning. years looking yeah. out the window you know, or, or no window in the back, right? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. yeah. In the back of the P3, no windows. The P3 wasn't too bad. The S3, they're a little small window and going on and off carrier is not a whole lot of fun yeah. without when you can't see yeah, what's going on. Yeah, when you're just along for the ride. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but so tell me now, what... Do you think, because you know, part of what we talk to here is we, I, I like to talk about leadership and obviously having a, a guy like you that is a, another military brother and, and learned early on lessons in leadership. What do you think would be, what would your leadership tip be for those business owners that are out there you know, listening in today, thinking about transitioning their company? What would you say to them? Do a lot of homework first. And don't be so emotionally attached to the business uh, that it doesn't withhold you from doing something better in the future. So Lazy Susan's, and this is just my example, was a big part of my life at the time. I met and worked with some absolutely amazing people and built some relationships that still exist today that are I'm, I'm grateful for. However, had I chosen to stay based on the emotional connection I had with the experience and the people, if you look at the past year and a half, two years, very difficult for a retail restaurant, you know, COVID, all that stuff. Right. So recognizing the timing uh, and also that I was okay letting it go. And I did the homework on what was the next chapter. So I really just doing homework, researching, is it an appropriate time? Being honest with my finances. Can I let go of this business and still function? Can I function for as long as I want with what I'm going to make from this business? That type of thing. So being logical about the finances, the market, the realistic expectations of what this business produces, what it could produce. Is there room for growth or have we kind of maxed out the market where we are? You know, have we seen growth the last couple of years or have we kind of plateaued? Do we have room for more seats? In the restaurant industry, it's really simple. You know, do you have more square footage to put more seats, to seat more guests, to make more money? And how and fast can you turn and them And how up? fast can you do it? And if the answer is no, you either have to get creative when it comes to what you're selling and when you're selling it, but you might have to be honest. So it was really just, I would say the advice point would be know when it's the right time and know that you can detach from something that may have been a big part of your life and your identity, still function and create something potentially even better and more rewarding in the future. Perfect. All right. Now you got to tell me, you got to tell me your best fighter pilot story. Oh man. Your best. I'm in the F-18 and in the mix and the, you, All right, so I'll you, give you, you, you got to pick a theme though. I'll you give can you a even theme. shoot at your watch if okay, you want. Okay. So, uh, I'll give you a theme. So we got serious, funny, Susan getting chewed out or combat. You're going to have to do more than one. Now. So give me your best combat story, and then we'll go from combat to funny. How's that sound? Okay. Uh, quick combat story. Uh, I was flying. You have to start with there I was. There I was. <laughs> so there I was. And I'm talking with my hands to so anybody listening. No, That's I'm, right. I'm not. But uh, so there a, I was. He's got a big watch, ladies uh, and gentlemen. The bigger the watch, better pilot. Okay. Everyone, everyone knows that. Yeah. So no. So there I was. It was the summer of 2016. And uh, – now, I was deployed uh, with the Great Squadron. Uh, we're supporting ground troops in northern Iraq uh, near the town of Mosul. And 
you know, I'll, I'll condense the story, but there were friendly forces taking casualties from an artillery piece, a mobile artillery piece. And folks, think of a tank that drives and shoots big bullets into the air. And those big bullets can do some damage. Yep. So friendly forces were taking some casualties. And the guy on the ground, the JTAC, the Joint Terminal Attack Controller, who was looking to get our bombs on this mobile artillery piece, it was a, we'll call it a, a heightened environment, whereas his tone of voice, it was urgent. He was ready to go. He, needed, urgent. he needed you it was on urgent. target, on and time. And you could tell it was very, very urgent. Yep. Uh, via some average piloting skills, uh, some good crew coordination with my Dash 2, I dropped uh, a bomb. And my dash two uh, lays the bomb in, and it impacted this mobile artillery piece and killed it. You did what you're supposed to what do. You were supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, and the best part of it was, this artillery piece was partnered up with a large truck. We used to call them just bongo trucks. So think of a, a semi truck with an open bed, and it was full of ammunition. So they were tag teaming. They would drive and shoot, drive and shoot, drive and shoot, and you'd see them stop rotate the turret, elevate the barrel, shoot it for a few rounds, and then drive. And they were moving at about 30, 30 clicks. So yep. let's just say 20 miles an hour, you know, for easy numbers. And this bongo truck would work in tandem with it where they would stop, you know, they would reload, move more rounds, shoot, and they kept doing this kind of leapfrog thing. Well, uh, my Dash 2 did a great job lazing the weapon in, and it turns out that the bongo truck was close enough at the time of impact, so the secondary explosion yep. from the actual, it was a, it was a 500-pound bomb, the residual effects hit the bongo truck, and the bongo truck went ex exploded, and it was double the size as far as the explosion goes. Right. We're like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> you know, one of those. So that was just average pilot doing average stuff, but uh, it, was, it was cool to get a chance to help dudes out who were taking casualties. And yeah. after, after that point, uh, JTAC was grateful, and uh, they stopped taking rounds. Yeah. Yeah. So what Susan's talking about here is that the F-18 is a airplane that was designed, uh, actually the first real aircraft to be designed to be able to switch from a air to ground capability to an air to air capability on the fly. You know, flicking a switch in the flight station in the in the pilot station to be able to, to change the radar configuration and the weapons configuration. And then lazing the target as is his wingman was putting a laser designator on the target and the bomb basically rides the laser designator all the way to impact so really good stuff god bless america you did a great job there I now just, i just hit a button hey that's all i did I put my air, airplane pointed the right direction hit a red button and then let the other guys do there's, all the work. There's a lot going into what happens before you hit the red button. So all the way back from, from when you were a kid and a hockey player, all the way getting to where you were. So, all right, now you got to tell me the funny story. Funny one. Oh, man. Gosh, there's a lot of them. Some of them are unsanctioned. Well, only tell me the, the one that can actually uh, – everybody can listen to and then funny they can switch over to, to the Ready Room podcast and hear some of the other ones. Okay, so you, I think you'll, you'll appreciate this one. These are – you're not going to bust on P3 guys, are no, you? No, but I am going to. We're going to reference our old neighborhood where we used to live. Okay. So, Beaufort, South Carolina, uh, runway five that for Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort, the extended runway five center line. So, if you if you just drew a line from the end of the runway, it goes right through Habersham, right through the neighborhood we used to live in. Yes, it does. And there was a group of individuals that lived in Habersham that weren't exactly 
the most military supportive and wanted the base to move. So they wanted the base that's been there since, I think, the 40s right. to move because uh, it was loud sometimes when jets flew over. And oh, by the way, all of them signed a disclosure that yeah. there's a base there, yeah, there's that there's base jets there. flying over them. <laughs> been there since you were born. Yeah. Uh, so I may or may not have, given when given the opportunity, flown over the Habersham Pool at 800 feet at 0.99 Mach and probably shook every window in every house in the neighborhood and came in for what we call the carrier break. Just to say hi to everybody at Habersham, just to let them know we're here to be supportive and do great American things. Yep. And uh, just wanted to say hello. So hey. we got to do that, and it was it was fun. So feet wet over the Habersham pool, 800 <laughs> feet, 500 knots. Hi, everybody. That's right. That was Susan's official course rules coming back into Runway 5. And there's no problem with that because, you know, Don and I sat there at the end of the pool, and and we wave at you every yeah. single time. So. There goes America. Right and, they, there. and we tell him, oh, Susan's back. He's going to come <laughs> drink beer with us here in just a little bit. So all good stuff. Well, listen, uh, Phil, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, best of luck for the coffee company. And uh, one more time, the coffee company is? Ready Room Coffee. Ready Room Coffee. Ready It'll room be coffee. starting in January-ish, January. right? Yep, and January. uh, we hope everybody will make sure that we have the uh, contact information as soon as you give it to us and, and send it out to the group. I appreciate it, and we'll do some more of these and talk some more stories. And and also, everybody go listen to the Ready Room podcast. It is great stuff. He has uh, has some great guests there, and and we'll have in the coming months some really cool surprises for everybody. So please go over there and listen to the Ready Room podcast. And if anybody's considering working with Mike to sell your business, uh, when the podcast comes out with him, and we talk about his stories from – from the eighties and his time in the Navy, you know, you'll have some, some conversation stories to share when you, when you work with them. That's right. And those were, that was just, those were all my, those were primarily my youngster stories. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't the even, day. yeah, they weren't even the, the, the second half of my career. So, <laughs> which is probably good, but we'll get to that at some yeah, other next time. Next time. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you. All right.